I've lived so much of my life trying to please and to do what other people either expected of me or what they wanted me to be that I just, I never listened to myself. I've made poor choices to sabotage myself because I wasn't, you know, happy with where I was going. And like, ultimately, I think that all ties into this one thing that, you know, that if I would have just accepted it a long time ago, that I could have saved myself and my family a whole lot of heartache. This is who I am, and I'm not going to, like, hide from that anymore. So often when I talk to parents about their child's decision or request to transition, parents express concern that their child will regret their decision and that somehow that regret will come back on them. Parents are also deeply concerned about their child's fertility and how hormones might affect their ability to have family someday. In fact, I've worked with a number of parents who have said they can do whatever they want to do when they're 18, but I'm not going to be responsible for any regret they have later. That's on them. I've always translated this to be a fear response. And I get it. There are a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainty, and nobody wants to screw up their kid or make their future not what they hoped it would be. You're listening to Camp Wildheart, your guide for raising a transgender child and nurturing an affirming family. I'm your host slash head counselor, Mackenzie Dunham, but you can call me Mac. Regret is a very powerful emotion. Daniel Pink, a well-known author in the world of leadership and business, recently put out a book called The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. And in the book, he breaks down four different types of regret. Foundational, boldness, moral, and connection regret. Foundational regret is all about stability. If only I'd done the things that allow me to have some stability in my life. Boldness regrets are about meaning. I'm not going to be alive forever, so when am I going to do something? If only I had taken my shot. Do you play it safe or do you take a chance? Connection regrets are all about love. We want people who we love and who love us. And moral regrets are about how we want to spend our time here on earth and what it means for us to be a decent human being. This is why one of the first things that I do when I work with the family is figure out what their core values are. So those four core regrets are ultimately about meaning, purpose, and love. From my experience, most families are worried about boldness regrets and foundational regrets for their kids. And the fear of those regrets are so powerful that they often overlook the connection and moral regret as even possibilities. When families express that they're concerned about boldness and foundational regrets, I often ask them to play the story in their head out to the end. What if their child is one of the 97% of kids who don't regret transition? Will they regret not believing and supporting their kid? Will they regret making choices that create a wedge between them? Will they regret how not being able to transition affects the rest of their life? And okay, so let's just say that their kid is one of the 3% who does wake up one day and say, you know what, this isn't for me anymore. Because that's what they say. They say, this isn't for me anymore. Not, this was never for me and I wish someone would have protected me from making all my decisions. Will you regret telling your kid I believed you and supported you. We didn't make snap decisions. We sought out support and guidance. We took our time. And ultimately, you're the expert on you, and it's my job to have your back. There are so many things about parenting that I worry about when it comes to my own kids. I really want to get it right. 
I certainly have things that I've learned over the years and did differently from one kid to the next, but I don't regret any of it. I'm not a perfect person. I'll never be a perfect parent. And I really want my kids to know that trying something that doesn't work out isn't failure or anything to regret. We learn, we grow, we move forward. You know what the most interesting thing about regret is for me? We are far more likely to regret the shots that we don't take. And when we do take a shot and it doesn't work out, people are generally okay. Sure, it's a little bumpy. They'll probably feel discomfort, but they'll make it through. Today, we're going to hear the story of a trans woman who didn't transition when they were young, even though they knew that's what they wanted and needed. She's going to share the story of the life that she has lived struggling with who she is and how to be in the world. Her name is Randy, and she's a white, middle-aged trans woman. She's married. She has kids. Randy asked me if she could share her story with you all because she wanted you to know the other side of the story for trans folks who can't or choose to wait until they're adults to transition and what regret means to her. Can we start back at the very beginning? Sure. So how old were you when you first knew that you were not like like the boys? Probably kindergarten, I would say, because, you know, when I was in kindergarten, I used to hang out like all my friends uh, or the majority of my friends were girls. And um, I used to like, you know, playing with the girl toys and I would, I had an older sister that was three years older than me. And I used to, you know, wear her clothes if I could fit into them um, whenever I could do it. And I knew like from my family upbringing that none of that was, you know, really acceptable. So I tried to hide it and be sneaky about when I did that stuff. Um, the playing with the dolls and stuff, you know, my parents never really said that that was not acceptable. But, you know, when I was older, there was some of that where they would say things like that. But when I was really young, it wasn't a problem. But I knew that when I was, you know, young, around six, that there was something that I was I was a little different than my peers. Yeah. And you said the way that you were brought up, like you knew this wasn't OK. What what way is that? It's not that anyone ever talked about, you know, gay or um, alternate lifestyles in my family, but they were definitely looked down upon by, you know, not necessarily members of my immediate family. Um, well, yeah, actually my brother, you know, he would used to say derogatory names about people that he would know that were that way, but my parents never really did that, but they, they just didn't talk about it either. So like I figured that, you know, that it's something that they viewed in a negative light. Yeah. And so you went and tried to keep some, a lot of the stuff secretive. Yes. When did you first, is it fair to say first try to come out? Oh, you know, when I was living in my own and on my own and well, I moved away to go to college. And so you know, like I never really did anything at home. I just was living, I was living too much of, of kind of just trying to survive and get through high school and all that stuff. But when I finished um, community college, I went to a four-year university and 
that was my first time living on my own. And it was my first time like being able to like buy, you know, women's clothes and wear them in the house and, you know, like treat myself to that, you know, those things that I've always wanted. And, you know, like, and I, I experimented, you know, with some websites as for not websites, but like some ads trying to meet other people and, um, just some different types of kink or fetishes essentially. And, you know, when I started getting more into that type of stuff, I didn't, and I didn't even know what transgender was growing up because it wasn't even a thing. And, um, in my house, like no one ever talked about it and, and, you know, and it was nothing I ever even heard of. And then when I was getting into this, you know, like some of this kinks and fetish stuff, when I was in my early twenties, I started reading about this and I picked up a lot of literature and books and kind of just educated and read about it. And so the first time I went to see a therapist, um, regarding, you know, myself what i was probably in my mid-20s um mentally it might have been later later like 27 i think so mid to later 20s okay and up until that point would you have described yourself as like i heard you say you were trying to survive high school you're trying to get through um what was it like emotionally in high school yeah, and how well, and specifically, like how much of that was connected to gender versus just like high school? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I would probably imagine a lot of it was connected to, to gender because I just wasn't there. I mean, I really wasn't even there. I mean, I, I, I was not, I didn't do any activities in high school. Like, I went out for soccer, I tried for soccer in my senior year of high school, but like, other than that, I didn't do any group clubs or anything. Um, I didn't have a girlfriend all the way through high school. Like, and you know, I, I went to the prom. I had a couple of girls that I went to prom with, but that was it. Um, and, you know, and I had one girl that I went to my junior prom with and she, she's the one that I'm friends with still now. And she's the one of the first ones I told about myself because, you know, back then she, I think she knew something was up with me and, she wrote wrote it in a letter and so like i was she was one of the first ones i told when i decided to like come out and but i wish i could just erase high school from my from my record and just do it all over again because it was it was a i liked the people that i went to high school with but i didn't like me and i just basically i think i was not present for a lot of it because it was just an awkward phase. Yeah. So you are 27. You went to therapy. And is it through therapy that you sort of put the pieces together? Yeah. I, the first therapist I went to, um, you know, she had actually encouraged me to come to one of her um, or, or our meetings uh, or our therapy sessions dressed up. And, you know, and this was in Sacramento because I was living in Sacramento at the time. And I did. And she was the one that basically kind of told me about, you know, transgender slash, you know, transsexual. I don't know what the term was back in the in the 90s. Probably transsexual. Yeah. Um, 
you know, she's the one that first like was telling me about that based on some of the feelings and the things that I, I was going through. And so I think deep inside of me, I knew that to be true, but I was so afraid and so still immature that I didn't go see her much longer because I just was kind of afraid of what that meant for me. Yeah, sometimes it's, um, not sometimes, it's a really scary reality. Yeah. Especially back in the 90s, right? Because culturally, I mean, it's it's a lot more, people are a lot more accepting, society's a lot more accepting than it used to be. Obviously, there's still a lot of room to grow. Yeah. But in the 90s, that would have been, there really wasn't a whole lot of representation at all. No. So it would have been, it would have been really scary to come out. Yeah. I mean, in Sacramento was, you know, I mean, it still is in some degrees, but back then, you know, like Sacramento was, even though it was the capital of California, it was a lot of farmers and, you know, um, basically, I, I hate to use the word rednecks, but, you know, like hardworking, you know, laborer type people. And they, yeah, they, it was not, there was not a lot of diversity there. I'll just say that much. Okay. That makes sense. And so you stop seeing that therapist. You decide I'm, I can't, I can't do this either right now or whatever. I'm just not in a place where I can do this. Yeah. And then, you know, I did a complete 360 year return and then got like heavily into bodybuilding. And, you know, um, I've always been going to the gym, like a gym's always been part of my life, but I started doing it to the extreme where I would spend like six hours a day in there. And, you know, I mean, I had, uh, this, I had a pretty gross body realistically. Um, my legs were huge and I had no neck, you know, I mean, just because I was trying to like, well, I can't be that I'm going to be, you know, be super mass hyper-masculine to prove that that's not who I am. You know, and it was that lasted for a while. Um, but ultimately, you know, those feelings never because they're, they're always there. They, they resurfaced and, you know, and um, I was basically dealing with the same thing that I did basically in my tw late 20s, early or mid to late 20s. And now I'm in my 30s. And that that pattern of like trying to just put it in a box and then ending up in this really hyper gendered experience, I think is, it's really not uncommon. Um, you know, I see, a, I see it in kids even, right? This sort of like, oh, I, this turns out this is not what I want it to be, or I can't do this or whatever. And then they go through a really, really hyper, hyper gendered phase. Um, then they come out and it's so confusing to people. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, wait, but you just love dresses. And they're like, actually, I don't love dresses. Um, I know I, I, it looked like I did. I was trying really hard and just <laughs> can't. I didn't do it. I don't, I don't, I don't love them. Um, yeah. I like bow ties. Uh, right. But I think it's really not uncommon to go through a phase of the opposite end extreme. So you're in your 30s. This all starts coming back up again. 
So what'd you do this time? Well, I was living in Santa Cruz at the time and I had been seeing a girl. So like, you know, when I was got into the hyper masculine bodybuilding thing and trying to be, you know, normal or whatever you want to call it. Um, I met this girl and her and I had lived together. We moved in together and we, well, she encouraged me to apply for a job working for a train in Santa Cruz, California. It was a tourist railroad because I always liked trains. And so we both down, moved down there and we lived out of our car for about a year because it's so expensive there and the job didn't want to pay me anything to start. And uh, so I was living out of my car and, you know, I was trying to have this relationship with this girl, but, you know, these feelings came back and I started getting involved with, um, there was a, like a Q center there in Santa Cruz and going there and I started volunteering there and I would go there, I'd go there wearing makeup, wearing makeup and, you know, semi dressed up. I didn't have hardly any clothes, but I would wear whatever I had. And, um, I had, you know, some electrology down there in Santa Cruz and, uh, and then started seeing a therapist again. And then, you know, that girlfriend basically was going to break up with me at that time. And I kind of like stopped again for a while. And because like, I didn't want to lose you know, the one person in my life that like I actually loved. And so I figured, okay, well, I can just be normal. And again, you know, this happened to me and her and I, we did, we stayed together for a long time, actually almost 10 years. And we moved after Santa Cruz, we moved down to Palm Springs area. Same thing happened a couple of years later. Um, and I saw a therapist down there and, you know, like thought I can just push it aside. And ultimately like her and I, we broke up. We, you know, she moved, we had, a, we bought a house together. She moved out of the house and I couldn't afford the house anymore on my own. So ultimately I, um, I got, or the house went on foreclosure and I lost the house and I moved out of the desert probably about a year after that happened, you know, I was on an unemployment because I had didn't, I'd lost my job due to some other things going on. I think that was around 2008. So the whole, you know, the whole economy was basically crashed. And then, and then I ended up moving up here to um, Washington and Moved up here, lived with my parents' house for uh, for about a year before um, I met my current wife. And, you know, my parents helped us to buy the house that I'm in now. But, you know, meanwhile, like, as far as my feelings, you know, it had all been kind of just going along in the silent, in the dark, I guess you, I can say in the background of our marriage. And then, um, ultimately on, on our 10 year wedding anniversary is when my wife had questions about like, she still felt like she didn't know me very well. And, and I told her everything and, you know, and 
around that same time I started seeing you and, you know, like started this whole process of a finally real, just admitting like, yeah, this is who I am and I'm not going to like hide from that anymore. So when did you start to come out to like, or did you talk about it with your family at all when you were younger? Well, no, not really. Like, I mean, I had some issues here and there when I was really young. I mean, you know, my dad would correct me for doing something that he thought was too feminine or something. Like, I remember, you know, like sitting down to go to the bathroom and my dad saw me doing that once and told me that that's not what boys do. Um, Yeah, but we never had like a dread conversation about anything that was related to this. But, you know, in my 30s, I was going to a bar in in Los Angeles area from, and I was driving up there from the Palm Springs area. And it was a bar that was um, really popped there with the trans crowd. And, and I found it, I found it online and driving home, you know, like I got a ticket, I got pulled over for drinking and driving and I was, um, fully dressed up in women's clothing. I mean, makeup on and earrings and, you know, like, um, and so I got basically arrested and then taken to jail and booked into jail, you know, and I, at that time, actually, when I, well, not at that exact time, but when I got out after that whole thing, I wrote a letter to my parents telling them all about me. So, you know, they, they knew about it then. How did they react? Um, I don't think really well. Hey, <laughs> <I, laughs> yeah, I think that there's a lot of denial, and I think you know there's questioning on whether like if they screwed up raising me somehow, like you know they if they did something wrong that influenced that. Um, you know, of course, my dad he was in law enforcement, and his concern more than anything was like that I was doing risky behavior and that, you know, I was going to get some disease or something like, cause I mean, he knew I was going to this bar and so he's like, well, you better not be having like unprotected sex or, you know, like he just thought I was involved in some risky behavior. And I, I kind of laughed and just said, no, I'm not doing any of that. And he re-emphasized it again and i'm like well i think i know what i'm doing with my own body so like don't worry about it and um but i think they just kind of they they either thought it was a fad or like it was just a phase that i was going through or they just tried to push it aside and act like it never happened yeah and so I'm sure that jail experience was pretty horrific too. I mean, I don't have to talk about it, but yeah, it was. It was, you know, um, you know, the, I'll tell you the the thing that makes me angry about it now that I still think of it is, well, I can, I'll tell you about the experience. But the one thing that I think of immediately is that when I was booked into the jail, the one thing that they took from me, and I never got it back, is was I had this really beautiful bra that I loved. Um, and they took it and I didn't. And when I got my property back, like they didn't give that back to me. They, someone, yeah. And I was irritated that they did that. 
Um, yeah, I would have been furious. <laughs> yeah, and That's I even okay. questioned question the person that was working in the property room and i said i had a bra too like where is it and they're like i don't know i didn't get anything and so i don't who knows what happened to it but um because they made me take it off because you know in jail they're worried that you're going to hang yourself or something so they make you take anything off that you can hang yourself with um it was humiliating i mean when i was booked into the jail you know there was all these men just gawking at me and um, you can tell that they were talking about me too. And, you know, they were all surrounding me. Like I was less than human. I would imagine there's been a lot of times in your life where you didn't feel very safe as a woman. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a lot of times. I mean, I think my saving grace for myself in a lot of ways is that, you know, I mean, I'm tall and, you know, like I'm not very small. So I think I get away with a lot because of that. But like, you know, if I were smaller and more petite, like I think that I'd be more afraid. But because of my height and my size, like I think that a lot of people just let me or they don't, they just don't say anything because they're afraid of confronting me because of my size. I'll just say that. That makes sense. But this experience you had in the jail led you to, or through the DUI, I'm not really sure, but something about this experience led you to be like, I'm I, I'm telling people. I'm telling my family. Yeah, I mean, well, because, you know, I mean, it, it was, I had I had made, you know, poor choices in my life. And, you know, prior to that even, and the funny thing is, is that, you know, I'm the youngest in my family and I'm, I consider myself to be pretty smart and yet I continue to make, make stupid choices. And, um, a lot of that was cause like I was just doing things for the wrong reasons. And so, um, finally, like, you know, I wanted to clear the air and hopefully that they would just like, understand and that way i want to be out there to you know live as something that or be try to be something that i'm not yeah but they didn't understand and they just sort of pretended like it didn't happen and so then what did you do next i lived down in the desert after that happened i lived down the desert a couple years and then ultimately moved up here to the washington area and then you know, and got married and, you know, and the marriage was also like, and, you know, and I still, I love my wife very much. And, and, um, I, I do love her very much. And, um, but I tried to like getting by, I thought if I got married and had kids and, you know, that I could, this would be like the final thing that would prove to me that, you know, like I'm just an average guy, you know, and, uh, I could live a normal life and it, it didn't work because, you know, it's like putting the lid on the bottle, you know, for the genie or whatever. And it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't work. And after 10 years of marriage, I mean, that's when, you know, she had asked me about that. And I finally just decided, cause I had already kind of 
been coming to the realization before I had told her my with myself that, you know, this is probably who I am and you just have to deal with it. And so when you told her, that was really the point where things really started to shift for you, right? That's when you yeah. started to really be like, okay, I'm doing this. Yes. And what was it like for you to to be like, I'm really starting this? What is it? What was it like for you to to start this journey at this point in your life? It was exciting, and it was also a little lonely because you know I didn't have anyone that was excited excited about it with to be that was with me i mean other than you know obviously you you're my therapist but, you know and people like my pastor but you know most people were not excited um for me and so i felt like it, it was and i still feel like it's a little lonely i mean because there's just not those people that you thought that would be happy for you and i know why they're not happy but you know they're not happy for you so, but I mean, I was happy um, that I could at least live with myself with a clear conscience. Yeah. You mentioned your pastor, and she's been sort of a badass in your life. Um, ta- can you talk about her for a quick second? Just like her, like the congregation you're a part of and like just, just faith, because this is a big part of your life. Well, it's Emmanuel Lutheran Church, and it's a pretty small um, small Lutheran church. There's only about, I don't know, maybe like 60 plus members on a normal attendance. And they're, they're all pretty older. They're like most of them, I would say in their average age in their seventies. Um, I ended up going to the church cause my wife had been a member there for a long time and we'd looked for other churches to go to. And I never found one that we really, really liked. I mean, we found one that was big and had a lot more stuff going on but there was very clicky, um, you know, like if you did it, if you didn't belong to a specific group of people, they didn't even acknowledge you. And so I told my wife, like, we can just go back to Emmanuel because at least everyone there, even though they're older, they're really nice. And, you know, so we went back there and there was one pastor there and he had left and, they had went through a couple of interim pastors and then finally they, and I kind of knew she was different. Like I was really impressed with our congregation that, you know, they were, she was the one that they wanted because, you know, there was this older group of people and, you know, here is this pastor that is number one, a woman, you know, which is a lot of churches, you know, will think, Oh yeah, woman can't be pastors. So she was a woman she has tattoos and she's got like her eyebrow pierced, you know, and when she originally started working for our church, I think she had like blue hair or something, you know, um, very progressive. And I thought I look, I would look at her and go, wow, like I'm impressed with our church, like that they <laughs> not nominated as a church body to elect her, you know, to call her to be the pastor of this church. And, you know, since she's been there, she's made a lot of changes um, as far as church statements, as far as like their welcoming statements and the mission statements. And, you know, in their welcoming statement, 
they say um, every Sunday, like all people are welcome, you know, and then she goes, she has this like thing where she says, you know, all races, all, you know, equal, all income, you know, I I forget exactly what it says, but in that she says all genders and genders, gender expression is welcome. And she is the one that got that to be in, you know, well, the church voted on it essentially. So it really was the whole church that decided it, but she's the one that nominated that we change our mission statement to have that in it. And ultimately like our church nominated it as a whole to be part of the RIC, um, part of the uh, ELCA churches, which is is reconciling in Christ, um, which is churches that they kind of belong to. The reconciling in Christ is, you know, they're trying to like reconcile past sins that they've done against particular subsets of people. And, you know, and one of those is the, obviously the LGBTQ plus group of people um, by excluding them from the church in the past. So she's the one that got the, our church to basically, you know, sign up to be part of that. And so we have the little, you know, thing on our wall in there that, you know, where it says we're a member of the RSC congregations. And, you know, knowing all of that before I told my pastor, like, I, I already knew all this stuff, but then I had a meeting with her one day and said, you know, like, how would you feel, you know, if someone in the church, I said, you know, it's one thing that we say all this stuff every Sunday, but like I said, what's the reality? And, you know, and she didn't really know what I was getting at. And then I told her about myself and, you know, so she was just super happy and excited um, for me. And I think, that our church as a whole got to, will get to experience someone, you know, such as myself as well. And in the whole changes and everything that, that goes with that. But come to find out though, that after I told her, like, I wasn't the only one in our church, there's also another, another younger person that is, you know, a teenager that's also trans. Yeah. And before I met you, she called my office um, before before I ever met you. Um, she called my office and she asked for some support and guidance around how to support the transgender members of her congregation, which I just thought was the greatest thing I'd ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's nice. So, yeah, and I met you a, while, a little while after that. Well, I think she's the one that, because she knew someone else like it's like a friend of her mom or a friend of the family that also had like a trans person in their family and they were going to to wild heart society Uh, and so that's how she knew about it yeah Yeah. and that's why she told me about it too so yeah i think she's the one that told me to check it out well i'm glad you made your way over yeah just saying just saying so when you think about like the course of your life and sort of the many different experiences you've had and the many different struggles you've had emotionally, economically, socially. How much do you think of that was connected to being closeted? 
well, I would probably say 85 to 90 percent of it a lot of it you know it, because i've i've lived so much of that of my life um trying to please and to do what other people either expected of me or or they wanted me what they wanted me to be that i just i never listened to myself and i made bad choices or i made choices in secret or even things to sabotage myself. I've made poor choices to sabotage myself because I wasn't, you know, happy with where I was going. And like, ultimately I think that all ties into this one thing that, you know, that if I would have just accepted it a long time ago that I've could have caused, you know, or could have saved myself and my family a whole lot of heartache. I hear from parents a lot that they're really concerned about regret, right? They're really worried that their kids are going to regret it, uh, transitioning. They're really going to, you know, one day they're going to wake up in their thirties and they're going to be like, this isn't who I am. And they're going to regret having done all these things to their body. And that's very very, very rarely what how the story goes, right? Like it's less than 3% of transgender people re-transition. And that's often because of societal rejection. Um, But when we think about like parents thinking, oh, my child's life is going to be harder or worse if they transition and they're going to regret this. What would you like to say to those parents? Or just share? Well, I would say that, you know, you need to listen to your child. You need to acknowledge their feelings and you need to, you know, let them explore. And, you know, I mean, I understand, you know, that there's legal ramifications if they're under 18. But I also know that life is so much easier, especially for, you know, if a kid knows that they're trans before they hit puberty, like if you can at least stop that puberty until they're old enough to like, you know, make that really informed decision on their own. That way they can, you know, have a chance to live their life truly as they are without having the effects of puberty that have already changed their body. Yeah. I talk a lot, especially for trans girls. We talk a lot about blockers and how important they are. And, and since you didn't have that option, right, and you went through male puberty and then you even had a hypermasculine phase of your life, um, you're now you're having to do a lot more work, right, in order to try and feel like you in your body. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I mean, I'm I'm older, so, like, not only do I have to do a lot more work, but I also have, like, effects of being an older male body like you know i've had i've lost hair and you know i i'm trying to like i go to the gym all the time partly because you know like i want to keep my heart in good shape but i also like i'm trying to lose weight and um i want to have that shape and i know certain things that i'll never have because i did go through puberty. like i'll never have hips uh you know like female type size hips and um, and I know that there's surgeries that can give you all of that, um, but I it would be much better to have them naturally than naturally, yeah. Um, yeah, you don't have to 
pay for them. It wouldn't have to be this source of anguish. And you wouldn't have to go through the recovery process of all like tons of plastic surgery. Yeah, it's there's a lot to be said for allowing your child to do this when they're younger. Or at least giving them the time with the puberty blockers to figure it out. Yeah, to figure it out. How do you, I mean, do you experience, do you still experience gender dysphoria? Pretty much every day I look in the mirror. Um, I try not to look too deeply in the mirror. I try to, you know, look at the superficial things like, you know, wow, I need to shave or, you know, but I don't, I never really look at my eyes in the mirror because, you know, that's looking truly at myself and I don't like some of the things I see sometimes. So I don't really do that. Um, and I know that sounds weird. Like, how do you look in a mirror and not see yourself? But um, I get it. You've, I've done it for so, I've done it for so long that it's really easy to do that. <laughs> and you mentioned that when you, that what prompted you to come out to your wife now was that she said, I feel like I don't know you. After 10 years of being married to you, I feel like I don't know you. And do you feel like there's been anybody who's really gotten to, like, know you or see you in your life? Do you ever feel like you got had that? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I have a couple of friends that I've been friends with for a long, long time. I mean, since childhood. And, and I've told them about me. And, you know, one of them is, um, I mean, they've all been totally accepting but one of them is like, he, he thought it was really, really awesome. You know, he's like, good for you, you know? Um, but I don't know that, you know, anyone ever really knew me because I've kept myself hidden so well that I never let anything out, you know, like I just kept that part of me locked under like chains and, you know, iron doors essentially. Hidden. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, pieces that people would see here and there of, you know, me, you know, crying at like a movie that, you know, I shouldn't cry at because it's, well, like my, my wife um, and, and my kids make fun of me because I don't know that my, I was with my kids when, when I watched that movie, but I was with my wife and we watched it was one of the Batman movies and there was a scene in it that, you know, made me, made me cry for at least for a minute or so. And she gave me a hard time. And now my kids gave me a hard time. Like, yeah, you cry during Batman, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so there's pieces of me that have like popped out here and there that, you know, like, and it's mostly probably been mostly been emotional because, you know, like I've had breakdowns here and there where like that comes out and, you know, where I can't contain that part of me. More often than not, though, th those emotional things have gone the other way because I've bottled them all up. They've gone, come out as anger or, or you know, um, some form of hostility. Yeah. Resentfulness. Things like that. I wanted to talk about the first time that I that you came to the office and you had your wig on and makeup and I remember I do you remember 
I remember it because I cried. Like, just like you're, you just were so lit up in a way that I'd never seen you lit up. Like, your eyes literally sparkled. And you just had the big grin on, and you just looked so beautiful. And I was like, oh, it was so cool to get to see you. Like, I felt like I got to see you that day. And every day, every day you come like that, I feel that way. <laughs> you know, what I find it's funny because before I went there, like I took a picture of myself in the car. And, and I think I told you this too, but like I actually saw the picture of myself in the, um, you know, that picture that I took. And I'm like, it, like my eyes look like they're actually sparkling, you know. And uh, yeah, and I'm like, what's that about? You know, because that's the first time I've ever seen them like that before. It was amazing. Yeah. So and and that's how I feel when, you know, when I'm able to be myself, you know, like I. Yeah, there's all the other stuff that happens on the sides and in my life. But, you know, in those moments, anyways, it feels great. Yeah. So I know that your church is super supportive and affirming. And so what's it like for you to have to get to be yourself and be seen by a bunch of people? Nice. Yeah. I mean, and not all of them have seen me or know that about me, but I think a lot of them are figuring it out. You know, I mean, based on just a little science here and there, like you know, nail polish and, you know, like the changing of my spelling of my name. And there's just a whole bunch of different thing clues that I think some people have figured it out. But, you know, probably a, a good third of our church knows about me because um, I've either told them or like some other way they've found out. But and they've all been really supportive. Um, their most recent thing where some more people found out was. You know, I worked at the Pride in the Park event for our church in July, in July. And so there were several people there that hadn't seen me before that way. And, you know, and I came as myself and they were all very supportive. And, you know, I, I think they, I mean, I, I probably, I don't know. I'm not going to put any words in anybody's mouth. I mean, they might be a little bit, a little confused as well because, you know, they've only seen me one way and so seeing me this other way is throwing them off a little bit because they're just not used to that but they, overall they've been supportive i'll just say that much yeah didn't someone didn't you have like a an a like a little old lady from your church tell you that you're like correct your lipstick yeah she said <laughs> it was the wrong color for me so and, so and i've knows. actually since since have bought a different color so that's so funny yeah she said it was it was too bright or you know like she said oh you need more of a natural tone you know mm. <laughs> welcome to the world yeah. of women correcting each other's faces <laughs> yeah sort of your yeah. orientation in well Randy, is there anything else that you want to share with parents of trans kids or share about your own story? We've been talking for like 45 minutes. I don't want to keep you all night. Oh, I would just say like, listen to your children. Um, 
And, you know, when your kid comes to you about this, like be willing to, to shed some tears with your child and be willing to like understand, you know, their perspective and what they're going through and support them, you know, like encourage them to find themselves. And, you know, because ultimately like when we're all ourselves, like it makes the world a better place instead of living in someone else for someone else or based on someone else's expect expectations of what we should be like, we just live to be ourselves. I think the world would be such a better place than it is today. Yeah. Well, thanks Randy. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks. And I, this was nice. Thank you. So that's it for today. I hope hearing Randy's story gives you some things to consider as you rumble with the concept of regret and what it means for you and your family. I'm so grateful to her for wanting to share her story with you. There aren't too many people in the world that will let others learn from their regrets. Thanks for listening. And please remember that all of us here at Camp Wild Heart, listeners, counselors, we're all here to support you. If you have questions or comments, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We're on Facebook as Wild Heart Society. We also have a private Facebook group, Camp Wild Heart Community. We're on Instagram as at wild.heart.society. And you can find me on TikTok as at real gender therapist, although there's really not much there. You can also email directly at camp at wildheartsociety.org. Also, if you're looking for someone to work with your family, Wild Heart Society offers a wide range of services from individual and group therapy to community events and gender family transition coaching. We would love to hear from you and continue the conversation. Thanks again for showing up here and for your kids. Be sure to subscribe for free to the podcast so you don't miss future campfires. And give us a rating. Rating the podcast helps other people find us, and we want to make sure that anyone who needs us knows there's a bunk for them at Camp Wild Heart.